0: Let me add my congratulations to our graduates. Uh, Some of you I know better than others. Some of you are children of families who have joined the church since uh, Confirmation Age, and I haven't gotten to know you as well. And some of you may be, you know, even so new to the church that you've only been here a few months. While others of you uh, were in my Confirmation class six years ago or so, And it's fun to see you again. I don't get to see you as much because most of you go to Contemporary, which is wonderful. I love that we have that service, but it's good to see you again. And those of you who, like, haven't even been to church in a while, like, Pastor Bob doesn't know that. He assumes you've just been over there in Contemporary. So you don't have to admit that to me, right? So... We're just glad that you're here today and that you are celebrating with us and allowing us to honor you as well. You're an amazing group of graduates, and it is a joy to be some part of your lives. I don't know if you realize that whether it's the graduates or others who are here, you've come to church on a rather unusual day. Did you know that today is Invisible Sunday at church? Invisible Sunday. You didn't even know there was such a thing. Nobody knew there was such a thing because I just designated it that actually myself. But Invisible Sunday is what I'd like to call today. So today is a, a day for a party to celebrate and honor what you can't see. And you do realize, don't you, that most of life, most of reality is actually invisible to most of us most of the time. You guys are part of a generation that a. is, first of all, it's a post-9-11 generation, and you're the first ones to sit before us as high school graduates. Many of you were not even born when what many people feel is the defining moment of the 21st century happened early in the century, and you have no memory of that because you were so young. But uh, that's one of those things that's like invisible to you because it's, uh, it's history, like it's before you came around. But there are things that are still present in the world, and you're part of a generation that is learning more things than we ever knew before about the world in which we live. And I'm not exactly sure, I didn't go back and look as, as to exactly when people started talking about dark matter and dark energy, but at least for my generation, it's like really weird, and yet you grow up knowing that 95% of the universe is either dark matter or dark energy, and the things that we perceive as real, that we see and hear, is only 5%. Even stars... Uh, out in the universe or the earth or whatever five percent is are things that are that can actually be observed anywhere even if you were there you couldn't see it it's dark matter or dark energy so most of the world is invisible but there are other things that are part of your daily world that you don't know how they happen you don't ask yourself a lot about it We've had a lot of rain lately, and where rain comes from is invisible to us. Like, maybe you study the atmosphere and climatology or whatever, but you don't know, really, what happens. I I was saying to my wife the other day, if there's all that moisture up there, why does it follow as drops? Why doesn't it just all of a sudden, you know, come all at once, like, all, all at the same time, like... How does that work? It's invisible to me how rain forms and why there's all of a sudden a whole lot of it at one time. Other things that are invisible, you don't know how your body works, whether it's uh, working to, you know, write a paper or to kick a soccer ball or to play with an Xbox or whatever. How exactly do those connections work? It's all invisible to us how we do what we do. And then there are places where you come and you observe things that you never realized were there and they changed everything. So if you look, there's kind of something odd in the front of you. I don't know if you've looked around yet, especially if you don't sit in the sanctuary. But for those of us who are here every week, the front of the sanctuary looks really weird today. Because for the first time in about, I want to say, 30 years, uh, there are no pipes. So until until, uh, this past week, there were huge organ pipes that stood in front of these panels right here on both sides. Some of them were as tall as 16 feet tall. So I'm from the floor. It's probably about 10 feet up here. So you add another six feet. Some of these pipes were that big and then we come to church one day and they're not there but here's the interesting thing about invisible we we noticed that those pipes are not there but i walked in the sanctuary one day this week our organ has been dismantled and is being reassembled and expanded in tennessee for about four months so they had to actually take every one of those pipes out i walk in the sanctuary and every one of the pews where you're sitting has organ pipes on it. There, there were 2,500 pipes hidden back up in here. And when they disassembled them, they've got like, some of them are tiny like this. There are hundreds of pipes. Uh, like that, and some of them are various sizes, but it took the entire sanctuary to distribute these organ pipes before they could then put them together in a truck and take them off to Tennessee. So you come in here every Sunday if, if you're a regular worshiper, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on that's behind the scenes, that's invisible, that makes the organ happen. Where Peter is sitting over there is typically an organ console but there's actually a, a hole big enough right now where the the console is what he actually plays. That's big enough. He said maybe we need to put a baptismal you know pool up here or something like. He's it's it looks really weird up there when you're sitting where we are. And there are actually signatures of the music people and the pastor and the year the last time they did the organ in 1992 that were underneath the floor that we never noticed were there. Anyway, my point is there's so much in life that is invisible that you just don't see and don't appreciate because it just happens all around you. So think about graduation. Okay, so let me talk to you guys again. Even the the, the brief ceremony that we had, which was what, five to seven minutes, uh, you just sort of show up and you look great and and we call out your names and there are gifts here. A lot had to happen behind the scenes for that little celebration to happen and I know this because I'm married to the woman who coordinated all of it and I know how many emails, well I don't know literally but I, I watched her responding to email after email and are they going to be here? Are they not going to be here? They expressed their diploma this way and somebody else said a different way and are the you know the, how do we n- label and name all the schools and stuff and there's a whole lot of stuff that happens. Then there's a reception afterwards that honors you. But this this little few minutes is just a microcosm. Think about what it took to have you graduate from high school. And all the people that made it possible for you to sit where you are and to walk with your classmates. I think for many of you it's this coming Friday. And think, can you think back through the names of those who made it happen? Your parents ought to be at the top of the list because they hassled you Um, day after day, at times when you were less motivated than others, or maybe some of you were completely self-motivated, but your parents brought you into the world, and they got you to this point. And then you start thinking about teachers, and most of you can probably name most of the teachers that got you to this point today. But what about the other invisible people? What about the administrators and the custodians and the the taxpayers that made it possible if you go to a public school or the donors if you go to a private school or the people that that, uh, wrote the curriculum? Like there were so many people and so much that had to happen behind the scenes for you to get to a moment like this. So that's why we need one Sunday to all that by way of introduction and say, we need one Sunday that's really about the invisible. We need to, first of all, just recognize that there is so much in our world that is invisible. But we have an aspect of our Christian faith that is invisible by God's design, and this is the day we name it, we talk about it, we celebrate it, and we respond to it. And the it is actually not an it. It's a person And we call this person the Holy Spirit. And today is Pentecost Sunday because we recognize this invisible, this most invisible aspect of God. And we talk about how we relate to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has to do with our lives. So we've been studying 1 Corinthians and we come to this part of the the letter where Paul starts out saying in most translations now about spiritual gifts. It's a bad translation. The better translation is about spiritual things. So as soon as you mention spiritual things, you're going like, that's invisible stuff. Who, how do I, like spiritual, the very definition of it, the idea behind it is this is something that's spiritual. It's of the spirit. It's not of the body. So we're going to be talking about spiritual things as Paul gets into 1 Corinthians 12. Apparently, the Corinthians had sent a series of questions to Paul and I don't know exactly what question led to chapter 12, but here's my best guess, that they said, Paul, we have a difference in our church at Corinth about who and what is spiritual. So we have people in our church that do some really dramatic things. They, they, they do miracles. We have other people who can speak in languages that they've never studied And sometimes they bring those languages into church and they just start talking and the rest of us don't know what they're talking about. And they say it's because they're more spiritual. They have more spirit than we do. Paul, what about spiritual things? What's your take on spiritual things? And Paul is going to write three chapters in response to this idea of spiritual things. How do you know who's really spiritual and what's spiritual? And... In a sentence, Paul's answer is this. You can't understand spiritual things without understanding the Holy Spirit, the invisible part of God. So let's talk about the invisible God. And we're going to actually spend several weeks on the third article of the Apostles' Creed, which starts, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin... With uh, verse two, actually, because I already mentioned verse one, and Paul is going to tell you three aspects of being spiritual. So what does it mean to be spiritual? Are you spiritual? Anybody here spiritual? like how what, what does that mean to be spiritual? So Paul begins by saying, there are lots of different ideas about being spiritual, and he says that some of you were part of a different religious system before you believed in Jesus. And you followed, you were pagans who followed what he calls mute idols. That is to say, you actually thought that because God is invisible to you, that you would create something that you could see. So you worshipped a rock or you worshipped a tree, which can't say anything and is not living at all. How dumb is that? Basically, Paul is saying But you have learned something else. You've learned about a living person, and that person is Jesus. And then he says, you know, there are lots of different ways to understand Jesus. And some people don't acknowledge Jesus. And some people think Jesus is nothing. So his way of saying it is, some people say Jesus is cursed. And he says, nobody can say that if you have the true Holy Spirit. Like, if you have the Spirit of God, you would never say that. But if you say Jesus is Lord then that is the spiritual thing to do. In other words, you can't be spiritual the most, let me say it this way, the most spiritual thing you can say is Jesus is Lord. That is to say, Jesus is in charge of everything, everywhere. So this doesn't mean that like your principal's in charge of the school and the president is in charge of the country and the pastor is in charge of the the, uh, the church, but Jesus is in charge of heaven. No, Jesus is Lord of everything. That's Paul's point. Like he is equal with God, he is Lord. But it also means something for all of us as individuals. When you say Jesus is Lord, it's not that Jesus is Lord of the one hour of Sunday when you come to church. What you're saying is Jesus is in charge of everything in my life. And you don't make Jesus lo- Lord. He is the Lord. It's that you acknowledge and follow him as your Lord. So you'll, you graduates will go through various seasons of your life sometimes more engaged and less engaged with Jesus as Lord, sometimes more consciously following him than others. But I can tell you it never changes who he is, his character. He is always Lord. And the wonderful thing is even if you drift a long way away from him, he will never stop thinking about you and never stop pulling you back into the reality of who he is for Jesus is Lord of all. And he wants you to be aware of him. But even when you're not, he will not forget you. And he will draw you back to himself if you will give him that opportunity. So the the role of the invisible Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus and who Jesus is. A number of years ago, there was a wonderful book about the Holy Spirit written called The Forgotten God. And I love the book. It's a good basic book about the Holy Spirit but I don't like the title at all because it sounds like the Holy Spirit is going like, why does everybody forget me? Nobody talks about me. You need to talk more about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't mind being forgotten at all. He likes being invisible. You know people like that, right? They're, they're kind of okay with being behind the scenes. The Holy Spirit loves to be invisible. But the Holy Spirit wants to point you to Jesus. So as long as you're thinking more about Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're trying to do what Jesus wants, then the Holy Spirit's going, like, that's cool. I'm, I'm good with that. I love being behind the scenes so that you will pay more attention to Jesus. So that's the first spiritual thing that Paul says. The only way to be really spiritual is to confess Jesus as Lord and to make him the center of your life. The second area where the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual things is the Holy Trinity. So this is an interesting topic because most of us get confused. It's hard for anybody to put into a few words what we mean by the Holy Spirit. I mean, excuse me, by the Trinity. So the word Trinity didn't appear in Christian literature until about 200 years after the time of the Bible. So nowhere in your Bible will it say we believe in the Holy Trinity. The word was coined because as people began to think more and more about what the Bible says, particularly the New Testament says about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son, the only way to sort of grasp that, to put a label on it, was to coin a new word. And so they did a couple of hundred years after the time of Jesus, a guy by the name of Tertullian, uh, put a word on it and he called the 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 what we understand about god as the trinity so what happens is there are all sorts of things that the new testament says about the relationship of the father the son and the holy spirit that didn't fit people's normal categories and this is one of those passages in first corinthians twelve verse four so he says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Notice how often are the words different and same. So again, Paul is addressing the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And what if some people seem to have more dramatic uh, displays of being spiritual than others? And he says, let me talk to you about God, because if you understand God, you'll get this next thing that I want to say better. Same God, different names, different roles. So when you try to unpack that and you try to make it sense to you, make it make sense to you, it's going to confuse you. But think about every every other area of your life. There are so many other areas of your life where there are multiple and yet one. And he's getting ready to tell us there are lots of different kinds of people in the church, but just one church, right? So we have unity. So he says they're same and there's different. So he's trying to help us grasp his spiritual things. So when I try to grasp the Trinity, here's what it comes down to for me. There's the Father who creates everything that is visible. There's Jesus who becomes one of us and therefore is visible. And there's the Holy Spirit who's behind the scenes, who's invisible. And you can't talk about one without the other. You can't talk about what one does without the other. Everything that God does, God does as one. But it helps us understand that when you see something in the world, when you hold a baby, when you hear great music, when you gaze at stars, when you listen to rain, when you taste ice cream, anything that you see, you go like, God made that. That's so cool. There's a God who made things that we can experience and touch and taste and feel. That's God the Father at work. And then you realize, I'm not really sure that God is always like, that, that he cares about me very much and that he knows what my life is like. And God goes, yeah, that's the son. Because the, the Jesus came into your world so that he experienced every single aspect of life that you do. So when you think that God doesn't know or God doesn't care, Jesus suffered more than any of you will suffer, and he did it for you. He died and rose again so that you might have eternal life. When you think, when you wonder whether God is there, you look at what the Father made. When you wonder whether God cares, you look at Jesus and you see that he became one of us and he suffered for us and with us. But when you wonder how can God who made everything and is so far distant, and how can Jesus, who permanently inhabited a human body, how can he always be there for us? That's the invisible one the Holy Spirit. So we we understand God in this way to understand that that there's an aspect of God that is like the dark matter or dark energy of the universe or like the organ pipes that you can't see or like the workings of your body that you don't really uh, watch function uh, fortunately. And God the Holy Spirit is that. He is the invisible one who is just as real, just as personal, and you can experience a relationship with him. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So then back to spiritual things. So Paul is saying, let me tell you three things about spiritual things. Number one, you don't really grasp spiritual things unless they're about Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Number two, the invisible Holy Spirit is part of God. And he is one God, but in three different expressions to us, three different persons. But now Paul's going to get to the topic that had raised all of this anyway for the Corinthians. Back to spiritual things, he says, okay, let's talk about the problems you're having. Because your problem is that there are people like Pastor Bob who stand up in front of people and they kind of get all the glory, right? When the church meets, there's Pastor Bob, there's Pastor Paul, there are other people who help in worship. There are occasionally others who read or pray or participate, but like there are some people who are just out front more. And in the Corinthian church, those people were sort of demanding greater respect and value and tried to present themselves as more spiritual than others. Uh, I hope I don't present that. I don't want to present that because I know me better than any of you do and I'm not more spiritual than anybody else. So if, if the person in front is not more spiritual, what makes them different? And Paul says... It's because the Holy Spirit, the invisible one, designates different people to do different things. So he designates some for preaching, for wisdom, for teaching. He designates others just to come alongside and help. He designates some that do have more dramatic gifts like the gift of healing or tongues. He designates some people who just have a great gift of faith. I will tell you that I'm not sure that I have the gift of faith. There are people who are always believing the very best that God is in the middle of it, that God is going to do something dramatic and great and turn every situation around. or are always praying the most dramatic prayer for people who are sick or have even died. And I'm going, that's the gift of faith. Like you always are on the faith side of whatever's going on. And the rest of us are going like, why can't I have that gift? Like, and Paul is saying, look, It's the Holy Spirit's job, the invisible God's job to distribute these different abilities according to his choice for the good of the church. So these gifts are never about what an individual might be able to accomplish or point to themselves. These gifts are always that the whole church, when each part is doing its work, because everyone is gifted by the Holy Spirit, when everyone is doing his or her part, then the whole body can do its job. It's the same spirit, the same invisible one who gives everybody something different to do. So let me challenge something that your generation, you graduates have heard. I don't know if you've heard it at home, it may depend, but you certainly hear it from your uh, culture around you, which is that anybody can grow up to do anything. Like you can be anything you want to be. And I just want to say to you that's a bunch of stuff that I can't say in church, right? It's, a, it's like a bunch of bull, right? You can't grow up to be or do anything that you want to Not everybody can grow up to be president, whether you want to be or not. You can't. So you are uniquely gifted and skilled to do something that God chose you only to do. Like what you can do is what nobody else can do because you're you. That's a biblical concept that the Holy Spirit says you're mine and I will give you all of the gifts and the abilities and the experiences. And by experiences, I mean some things that are really, really hard that you have to go through. And most of you have no idea what you will go through until you get to the point where you look around and you say, I'm finally doing the thing that I was called to do. Linda and I, when I, when I met and married her, would never have imagined that we would be in our denomination, that we would be leading a church as large as this one that we would have the variety of experiences in our early life sometimes very painful sometimes great sometimes just a matter of our education yes sometimes a part of our choices but we never imagined that we would be doing today when we were uh, that we would be doing what we're doing today when we were your age more than likely whatever you're going to be doing in 10 or 25 or 50 years is not going to be anything you can possibly even plan right now so you take it one step at a time. You take the next step. You get the next level of education experience. You deal with the next hardship. You enjoy the next, uh, the, the next uh, benefit that comes your way. And you just keep trucking on. But at some point, you're going to look back and say, wow. God pulled all of that together in a way that made me uniquely me and I can do some things that nobody else in the world can do because I'm me, both because of the great things that have happened to me and because of the worst things that have happened to me. And it's the Holy Spirit who's in charge of that. When you're a believer in Jesus, he goes like, I will equip you. I will gift you. And not everybody needs to be out front or in places where they get a lot of recognition for what they do. Everybody can't do that. But you can be uniquely you, and I will make it happen if you will just trust me. So that's the wonderful message here in 1 Corinthians 12 about this invisible Holy Spirit who right now is doing the kinds of things in your life that he will weave together into a beautiful story that he will make sense out of. One closing thought. You ever wonder why church? So it's not just the graduates. All over this building are people who come to church very faithfully, some who come to church very irregularly, and some who come to church never, except if there's a funeral or a wedding or maybe some other special occasion. Why do we think it's important to come to church? I heard a couple of statistics, a range of statistics today that I I don't have enough science or research to validate either way. But let me just give you a couple of numbers. I'm told that somewhere between 3 and 10,000 times every day you see an advertisement. Let me say that again. You see somebody trying to market something to you, on average, the Amer- an average American, somewhere or here, somewhere between 3 and 10,000 times every day. That means even if you do come to church week by week, let's just take a number in the middle there, 5,000, that in between your experiences at church, somebody else 35,000 different times has tried to tell you what will make your life meaningful. And it usually has to do with buying something else or having a different experience or going somewhere or having a relationship of some other kind. And let me tell you that my old-age man experience after 62 years of life and watching a lot of people experiment with life is that very, very few, if any, of those things that you are targeted as a marketing campaign in between Sundays really gives life a lot of meaning. So buying something else, accomplishing something else, getting another degree... Going somewhere you haven't been, finishing your bucket list or whatever, like it doesn't really give your life significance and meaning. Those are things that you see and touch and hear and feel. What, what gives life meaning are the things that are invisible. Love gives your life meaning. Loving and being loved. You can't put your finger on it, but it's what gives your life meaning. Forgiveness gives your life meaning, and those who live without it uh, live in a a self-imposed pit of despair. Peace gives your life meaning. Joy gives your life meaning. And there are no commercials in between Sundays for joy. There, There may be an implication that you can find joy if you have this thing, but like nobody's advertising how to find joy. That's why we have church. Because somebody out there every Sunday is trying to tell you something that may add some value to your life but isn't going to add meaning to your life. The meaning in life comes through that which is invisible. And all of those things that I just said ultimately are wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I am an unashamed presenter, teacher of the basics of life. There's a God. He knows you. He loves you he knows your story, he forgives you, he knows you're broken and messed up, and he loves you just where you are. No matter how far you've drifted away from him, he knows that, he loves you, he will forgive you. And when you receive that uh, reconciliation with God through Jesus, then he will enable you to grow in your ability to extend that to others. And you will find love and joy and peace and contentment and comfort and strength for whatever life throws at you when you focus on that which is invisible. And the one who is in the invisible part of God, the Holy Spirit, will make that happen to you when you trust him and look to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this invisible day. We thank you for this day when we remember how the Holy Spirit made himself visible with tongues of fire and different languages, and a powerful display of rushing wind 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday. And Lord, we realize that we, uh, you have designed in your sovereign purposes for us to not see you, not see the Holy Spirit most of the time in most of our situations, because it really is about trusting you through faith when we can't see or hear or feel. That's how you grow us. And so I ask for these graduates, and I ask for all of us who are here, because we're all basically in the same boat, that on those days and moments, when it looks like someone or something else is trying to tug at us and make life meaningful through stuff, that you will bring us back to reality, that you'll bring us back to the body of Christ, you'll bring us back to the wonder of who you are, that you'll bring us back to the ways in which you are working in us to develop and use those gifts for the common good in order that God may be glorified and Jesus as Lord might be seen in our individual lives. We thank you for that hope and that truth and pray that you will impress this message by your Holy Spirit on each one of us where we need it today. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation,